Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Beyond the Game. My name is Gregan, and today I'm chatting with Geo, known for their commentary in esports, most recently in Valorant. I was part of the duo that was the first ever double female casting duo on a tier one esport product. Started with Overwatch, as you mentioned, yeah. and you've mentioned Valorant as your most recent game you've been working on. You also went through Siege for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's the reason for switching from Overwatch to Siege and then to Valorant? Once you've worked in more than one game, you get a massive appreciation for how things are done in different parts of the industry. Like 100 pages of notes is very difficult to process into yes. live information. Yeah. So how would you access that information live? So what I do as an analyst, the things that I generally look for is patterns in playstyles. So Overwatch, Portal 2. Okay, but no, you're getting Sims the order wrong. Because uh, be, it would be Portal 2 is very much at the okay. top, okay? And then I don't know what order after that. Make sure to follow for future episodes and let us know who you want to hear from next. I hope you enjoy this conversation as we get to know Geo beyond the game. Geo, welcome. Dragon. <laughs> so, so we met at EGX in 2019. I'm so glad you remember that because I had no idea. Where yeah, because I, I, I remember meeting you because Onset was there with you. You were working with, I think, a little Gfinity yeah. team or something. Yeah. Doing some hosting work. Yeah. And I remember we met briefly, and I didn't really speak to you much. And then we we kind of met later on through connections at some point. I don't remember exactly how it was. Yeah. But at that time, it was quite early on in your journey. So what I want to ask you is sort of where did it all start for you with uh, being an on-screen talent? So I guess if we'd met then, that was around September, October 2019, right? <clears throat> okay, so I first, I did my first ever like completely amateur tier three broadcast at the very end of August 2018. So I was maybe like a year from the very first time that I did anything at that point. Um and everything like actually went really fast for me at the beginning but as for for what it was that got me there in the first place I've told this story before because I think it's a little unorthodox but I was finishing up my bachelor's degree and I was meant to be going on and doing my master's degree in theoretical physics 
And I had a really serious medical scare in my last year of my bachelor's degree. And that was a really harrowing experience. I remember I actually like, I almost considered dropping out in the middle of my exams. And so that's like the very end of my degree. I've got like a couple weeks left. And I was like, I'm almost like tempted to just not even finish. And fortunately my dad was like, don't do that. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and I'm glad I got my degree. Um, but I had an internship at uh, a global bank for business and finance. And if you know anything about those sorts of internships, you know that they are like gold dust and people just fight over each other to try and get them. And um, so I had signed my contract and everything. I was meant to be going and doing it like after my exams. And I remember just being at this point, like because of this medical scare and because everything that was going on and I was like 21 and I thought I was about to die. Um, I just kind of hit this point where I was like, I am just going to quit out of all of this. I'm going to leave my degree. I'm going to, I'm going to leave the internship, which was a really difficult decision. Um, and I'm just gonna try and go into esports. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I just, I want to go work on camera. Um, and I remember telling my parents that, and my mom at first didn't quite get it. Cause she thought, she thought I wanted to be a streamer. Um, and I think she was kind of, my mom wasn't super in tune with that necessarily. Um, I always joke to people when they say like, oh, how do your parents feel about you being in esports? I'm like, my dad knew what esports was long, long, long before I ever did. You know, he was there at the beginning. Um, and so I remember telling my dad and he was like, well, how are you going to like pay for this? Because like I had an apartment, I had, you know, whatever. And I was like, yeah, I quit my prorated internship and whatever. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't know. I, was, I guess I was just going to pay it for it out of my savings. And my dad was like, don't do that. I will pay you a salary for a certain amount of time. I think he said, I don't remember if it was six months or a year. It was some amount of time. Um, go and do all the work that you need to do to do that and basically make my investment worthwhile. Um, so I kind of had that. I was very lucky. I was really lucky for that to be an option. But I kind of had that like stability and security to not have to balance it with another job. So I literally just went like balls to the wall, like straight in and just tried to do as much as I possibly could. I obviously started off in Overwatch and um, at least back then, because Overwatch, uh, uh, what was it called? The one that was below Contenders, uh, Open Division, that's mm -hmm. the tier three. Overwatch Open Division and some of Overwatch Contenders was done by Broadcast, Broadcast GG um whose operations then went on to be managed by elo hell later on but that was way further down the line um and so if you were someone who wanted to get your first experience in broadcasting like you could go to them and there are a lot of big casters in the industry now who started off at the same time um doing that especially a lot of the overwatch talent who stayed in the game and so that's that's what i went and did and i actually started off as a host i really wanted to cast but i was shit scared um because i was terrified of people telling me i was an idiot um so i started off with hosting and i very quickly transitioned over um and yeah i did my first live cast in december of 2018 and i got signed to an agency at the beginning of february 2019 um so i then I think I was also kind of a hot commodity because at the time, even though it, it's really not that long ago, at the time there weren't a lot of women who 
um, were doing the broadcast side of esports. Um, and I think that really helped to kind of accelerate that first year that I was in things. Um, but it was a very fast moving year. Yeah, I mean, commentary still is rare for, for women in the industry. It's getting more and more common. Like the hosting side of things is where a lot of people yeah, uh, tend to go. It's a really interesting one because I definitely, I think that commentary is, is way more ubiquitous in women now than mm -hmm. it, or rather women be more ubiquitous in commentary, um, especially when I consider how it was then. And I mean, look, consider the fact that my primary game for the last couple of years has been Valorant and Valorant has a very female heavy, um, like broadcast um, roster. Um, but the thing that makes it the most kind of clear to me is sort of like the cultural expectations around it that have slightly changed. Because I remember at the time, like everyone wanted to hire a woman to be a host. And the reason kind of was that it wasn't that they thought women could only host. It was just that every game wanted to have women on their broadcast. And hiring a host is the easiest role to hire for when you're looking beyond your like kind of enthusiast expert sort of population. Because it's like, okay, we, who, what role on our broadcast can we have someone who isn't already an expert in this game, but is qualified to be on the broadcast and hosting is the role that, that that makes the most sense for. So if you're a game and you're like, oh my God, all of our like really well-known people who know like who can analyze this game, they're all guys, like, what do we do? Okay, let's go like hire a woman um, for, for hosting. And um, that was the thing I, I found really difficult to deal with. And, and that for me, whenever anyone's ever asked me about misogyny in the industry, that's always been the thing I go to is almost like that positive discrimination because I felt like people were trying to pigeonhole me into hosting at the time. And I was like, I don't want to be a host. Um, but when I compare that to kind of how things are now, I don't see that at all. I see women who like are kind of climbing up through the ranks and they want to be casters and no one anywhere questions it. Mm -hmm. And to me, I look at that and I'm like, so much has changed in like four and a half years. Yeah. Um, and I'm really, really glad for it. Like I have friends who have kind of like started post pandemic or like from the pandemic who have never really had to like deal with that. They've been taken seriously at what it is they want to do from the word go. And I'm like, awesome, because not only does it mean the people who want to be like analysts and casters and whatever don't have to deal with that, but it also means that the women who do want to be hosts and are hosting aren't going to just be looked at as like, oh, she's only there because she's like there to be a pretty face. Yeah. Like, no, she's there because she is good at that job and wants to do that job. Like, so it kind of benefits both sides in that and, and we see um, more people on the desk as well more yeah. analysts in that role mm -hmm. and i think the the commentary side of it as well is huge because it's so much about the voice of the game being uh representative of the people who play it and i think that's where now more women are playing the games and more publicly playing the games rather than having to hide behind a a, a neutral gamer tag or whatever it is so it's yeah. just making the, the the whole place seem more uh friendly to to anyone like i'm not I could be wrong on this, but I remember at the time we tried to figure out if we were wrong um, and we couldn't think of an example, but I am almost certain that I was one of, one of the, or part of the duo that was the first ever double female casting duo on a tier one esport product, which is um, in 2020 when I was doing the European League in Rainbow Six, 
there was a day where Jess and I, so Jess Goat mm. and I had to cast together um, because of some scheduled thing or whatever. Like we couldn't cast with our usual partners or something like that. I actually know there were five casters. So we kind of had to rotate a little bit. That's what it was. And um, we did that cast. And I remember we kind of came off that and we were like, has there ever been like a like two women who've casted a tier one product in esports and we were thinking there may have been in the fgc at some point because the fgc is its own little universe right um but we couldn't think of an example and you know like since then i've been on i've been on desks especially in valorant where like um you know it's an all-female desk because you know like whether it's with yinsu and kakuka and in the events that they have now you've got like mimi as well in that um and so it's just not even a thing that kind of comes to mind like no one ever mentions it no one ever thinks about it which is just infinitely better than it being a notable thing that we did in 2020 you know (laughs) that one time i mean a lot has changed in in the last um three four years as you mentioned and same thing for you you've changed through a lot of different games as well yeah (laughs) um started with overwatch as you mentioned yeah and you've mentioned valorant as your most recent game you've been working on you also went through Siege for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's the reason for switching from Overwatch to Siege and then to Valorant? So I, yeah, I think overall I've worked in, I used to have the number written down. I've worked in a lot of games, but those are the three games that I would consider like my mainstays. My switch from Overwatch to Siege, I actually, I had a lot of people recommend that I leave Overwatch before I did, and I really didn't want to. Um, but the problem that I really had with Overwatch was that I was extremely ambitious and I really, really wanted to make it to the Overwatch League. And the time that I was kind of in Overwatch was, was really, it was really poorly timed because I was kind of too late to be, um, the first or I was sort of in like generation 2.5 I think for Overwatch so I was too late to be in the first generation that went immediately to the Overwatch League from the start and I was very slightly too late to be in the generation of casters that started the contenders products and then later graduated to the Overwatch League but I was too way too early like if I look back now and I see when the next sort of like swathe of talent went up I was way way too early for that and I kind of got to a point where I was like I either like sit here with really not much of a way of kind of like making my way up the ladder until something just shifts and I don't know if slash when that will be or I go and try and find that somewhere else because I know I'm really good at my job um, and it, it sort of got to that point where I was like, I, I don't want to just sit here going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like a really reluctant decision, but after I made it, I i mean, I've always looked back on that as being the decision that is one that I'm the most grateful for in my career, not just because it opened more doors for me, but just in the sense of once you've worked in more than one game, you get a massive appreciation for how things are done in different parts of the industry and knowing different people. And like, I have friends who've only worked in one game before and they'll talk about how things are done. And I'm like, you realize like X, Y, and Z is normal elsewhere, right? And mm-hmm. they don't know. And I'm like, that was me once. That could have been me if I'd have never moved out of Overwatch. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I went to Siege. I actually originally wanted to go into Call of Duty after okay. Overwatch. I was so passionate about Call of Duty. Um, but again, this was before the, the um, CDL came in. It was still the CWL back then. And it was in a place where there just wasn't any, there weren't any opportunities because there wasn't even really a 
like the tier two scene in Call of Duty has always been very tournament based. So it was kind of like there would be like an international tournament for the CWL and then they would have their amateur bracket there. Um, And so they might hire a couple of casters to specifically cast the amateur bracket. But it's not like there was a tier two league where you could go kind of cut your teeth. Mm. So I was sort of there with Call of Duty and I was like, there isn't really anything for me to do here. Um, I mean, what you said there about the sort of finding your place in a new esport, that's one of the hardest things that I do not envy people who've not grown through a game. Like I'm I'm a Rocket League person. I was there before Rocket League even had a big esports scene. There was no money in it. So therefore you grow with it. You're part of that first wave of people and so on and so on. I do not envy those trying to move into a new game because I've been trying to do that recently since Rocket League has been going as well. And I wouldn't even know where to start with with a new game. It's... It takes a lot of work because then obviously after Rainbow Six, I moved into Valorant and that was a little bit different than my move from Overwatch to Rainbow Six because the move from Overwatch to Rainbow Six was kind of like, okay, I shut this door and then I open the next door. From Rainbow Six to Valorant, there was a period of about half a year where I was doing both and I was doing the, the tier one product of both of those games. Um, I was working on the Brazil League which was the world champion, uh, the world champion region at the time. I was working on the Brazil League for Rainbow Six and I started casting Valorant in May of 2021. Um, And it wasn't until January of 2022 that I announced I was leaving Rainbow Six, which wasn't my decision either. Um, So I was doing both alongside each other. um, And I only kind of left Rainbow Six because my job didn't exist anymore Mm. um you know so um that was a little bit of a different kind of situation there um but i think i was quite well received in valorant so i was like very passionate and excited about that um and then i haven't like moved on to anything else since then um for a number of reasons um but there is that kind of sense and like just based on what you just said uh then is i kind of look back and i'm like you know when i was 21 like starting from nothing and trying to like make my name in an esport that was like exciting that was like you know whatever and now i'm like i've you know i haven't been doing this for a super long time i haven't even been doing it for half a decade yet um and I've like changed games a number of times in that in that space of time. And you have to put in a lot of work to study, prepare, learn about everything, assimilate yourself into um, that scene and then try and get opportunities. And that can like set you back a long way because you kind of, even if like you're coming from the top of another game, which like you obviously would be from Rocket League, you kind of have to go back to being a nobody Mm-hmm. in another game and it's not that there's a problem with needing to prove yourself because obviously just because you know something about game a doesn't mean you're going to know everything about game b but in terms of like when you think of how that fits in with your life on a more like macro scale and more holistic scale that's where as you get older it starts to be less exciting and less like adventurous and it's more like oh my god like what if, and these are just hypotheticals, these are not necessarily things that are relevant to my life, but like, what if I wanna buy a house? What if I wanna move in with my partner? What if I wanna have kids? What if I wanna blah, blah, blah? What if like I'm on the path to doing this other thing with my life? 
if I have to put my career back to the square one where you essentially gambling mm. uh, and set myself back and undo the years of work that I've been in this other game where I've built myself up, all of that gets kind of erased because I'm not doing that anymore. Like, where does that put me in all these other parts of my life? When I was 21, I didn't give a shit about those things. I, can I swear? Yeah, you can swear, that's okay, fine. Cool. <laughs> when I was 21, I didn't give a shit about those things. All I cared about was like, this is what I'm gonna do. Like, hell yeah. I didn't have anything to care about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like, as you get a bit older, how that fits in with everything else in your life puts way more pressure on it. And so it's not even necessarily a sense of like, you straight up not knowing how to get into another game, but it's like not knowing how to do it and balancing out the other priorities in your life. Because yeah, if you were willing- it's the same thing for pros, right? Like pros who get dropped from a team yeah. and they're like, well, I want to keep going in this scene and try and find a new team. And then they've got to take that risk of, do I keep grinding? Do I take the risk of jumping to a new game or- Right. Because if you were willing to give up everything else in your life, like if you knew that you could- lose your apartment and you'd have to like crash at someone's place or like you would have to maybe sacrifice certain relationships in your life and stuff like that. If you were genuinely willing to give up all of those things, then the risk to transition into the next thing probably wouldn't be so daunting because you would be okay with the sacrifices, like certain sacrifices that you'd have to make. Obviously, regardless of your situation and what your priorities are, you're going to have to make some sacrifices anyway. But I just mean, if you're willing to sacrifice literally everything because you just don't care about all the other stuff, then it's not such a scary thing because you're already like at peace with the idea of losing all of those things. Mm. But when there are things that you're not okay with sacrificing and you're trying to figure out that balance of like, okay, how do I take these steps back? and go back to a place where I've got to prove myself once again and start from nothing and you're not earning the same amount of money and you're not, you know, whatever. Um, But also I want to stay living here or I want to stay, I want to stay with my partner. I want to stay with like whatever, like whatever it may be. That's where it's like, how do I do it? (laughs) You know? I mean, it's it's scary as well because at any moment, even if you are in the, in a game and you're committing to that game, you're, you're in the tier one scene at any moment I could suddenly disappear. You know, I went from my highest earning year last year to my lowest earning year since the beginning of when I joined eSports. I've been there, bro. Yeah, I've and, been there. <laughs> and so you don't even know at any moment whether it's going to be worth sticking around yeah. in something. So there is that element of fear with talent that you just never know when something's going to suddenly disappear or everything's suddenly going to appear. Like you, you've yeah. jumped from game to game. Who knew that Valorant was going to come out and be the big game it was? until it happened and then it's like well will I have a chance and so on and so on so so much uncertainty with the next steps and I guess you're in that patch now with Mm -hmm. Valorant of like okay maybe I'll look elsewhere maybe there'll be another game maybe Valorant will come out with an opportunity who knows what's next for the for the future of you as on-screen talent yeah it was kind of a rough one for me because so yeah 2021 was my highest earning year my eyelashes are sticking together (laughs) 2021 was my highest earning year and then I was expecting certain work in Valorant in 2022. And I just want to like put a disclaimer that when I say I was expecting, you should never assume you're entitled to any kind of work or anything like that. Um, So it's not that I thought that I was entitled to it, but I had like reason to believe that I was going to be offered certain work that didn't come. And um, I, that made 2022 a really difficult year, like on a number of levels, um, but it made it a really, really difficult year and it was my lowest earning year. Um, 
And uh, really, I'm just very fortunate that I, I had money, like, kind of saved up. Like, otherwise, I probably would have had to have just said, oh, I've got to get another job. And that is still now a really harrowing thing to think about that I was like on top of the world at the end of 2021. I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, this is like awesome. Like, this is the best. Um, and then suddenly it was like, oh my God, like it's all been taken away. I don't really know why, but like, this is the situation I'm in. And you sort of, your life kind of flashes before your eyes. And that's, it is crazy. You think it won't happen to you until it does happen to you. Um, Tell me about it. Yeah, yes. Waking up to the email. So so I guess the, the thing about that, the, I don't think it's going to happen to you. One thing that I think is a big problem in esports in general, even for those who are currently doing an amazing job, is a lack of feedback for people who are working on screen. Mm. I don't know if this is the same and as resonates with you with the work you did, but um, I always felt like there was a lack of feedback where anyone was willing to tell me what I need to do better in order to keep my job. Because in any other place of work, you'd be told, you're not quite hitting the marks we want from you. You need to do this, this, and this. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to keep you on. Um, What happens in esports with talent is you suddenly wake up and they say, oh, we're not going to renew your contract, right? And I feel like there's a a lack of that progressive, you're not doing enough right now. We need need to see this from you. We need to see you do this. Otherwise, we don't don't know if we can keep you. Or there's other people who we think would be able to replace you with that do a better job, right? I think it's because in a lot of instances and this is purely speculation but in a lot of instances the reason why talent get taken off of their jobs is not generally because of performance and uh not having that explicitly disclosed to you um is i would assume beneficial for the people who make that that decision but again i you know i'm not in that position um but I, I've been fortunate, I mean, in Valorant at least, like in my experience in Valorant, they were good with feedback, but then I've also been in positions where, um, yeah, any of that's really, really hard to get. And I have friends who uh, complain about the same, the same things. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, a lot, a lot of people who kind of get very suddenly unexpectedly or perhaps even like capriciously let go of um it's probably not because of their performance and that's a really tough pill to swallow because it is so much easier to process the idea that you you no longer have your job because of something that was in your control right because then it's sort of like Okay, if I just wasn't good enough, I wasn't good enough. Okay, and I can go and work on that. But if if you, for whatever reason, have any belief that the reason you don't have your job anymore is for something that had nothing to do with that, that's way that's a much harder thing as a human to just kind of deal with. So I think like we like to believe that the whole like feedback thing would change a lot of these outcomes when in the, in in truth they probably wouldn't. And like, look, I'm an advocate for having like good feedback channels. Um, I think like good channels of communication between producers and decision makers and and talent is a really good thing. And it can only benefit everybody who's involved. Um, But I also think the truth is, is usually, yeah, it's usually not performance. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the time it's a budget cut that suddenly has made a tough decision. That's typically what 
the story is. I mean, that's the story I heard. It's a story you hear in a lot of shows that go from a big team of people to a smaller team or less show times or whatever it is, um, or consolidating the talent team. Mm. Um, and a lot of the time that makes sense because that's the whole esports problem right now is budgets are going down. And even within organizations, people having to be let go when they don't have the budget for them, even if they're doing a good job. So I think that's that's a problem we're having across the board. People just getting cons- part of the consolidation process are getting removed. Um, when it comes to how you bounce back from that, um, there's there's an element of if you get knocked down, you have to come back and fight harder. Mm. Have you felt like when things have not gone your way? Because you went, like you said, at, at the end of 2021, you were in the best place. You thought you were amazing. Yeah. You thought you were doing a great, great job and everyone's giving you opportunities. And then when it's the other side, how did that affect you when you suddenly weren't getting work? Uh, I mean, by the end of 2022, like I was in therapy for very severe mental health problems. Um, and um, I won't necessarily like go deep into that. I think that's probably unnecessary, but you know, read between the lines. Um, And the problem that I had, and I'm sure this is a very human thing, is that I was stuck in this cycle where I would be like, okay, I just need to like work harder and do all this content and do everything to prove that I'm still really dedicated. But then I was also so depressed that I just, I couldn't. Like I couldn't, I would maybe be able to keep it up for like a week or two. And then I would crash and I would need like a month off because I just like couldn't do it. And then I'd be like, oh my God, everybody's going to think I'm really complacent. I'm really lazy and I don't care anymore. And I'm going to get like washed away into oblivion and no one's going to remember anything. And I'm, and, and that has been a really like difficult battle to have because on, on the one hand, I'm like, okay, I'm already like trying to like deal with the issue that just is kind of the consequence of what's happened. And then, and then I feel so like unable to actually action any of the things that I feel that I could potentially do that could maybe have a tiny shred of, um, you know, chance that it may help. And because, because I'm failing at this first, at this like tiny step, I'm like, what, you know, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like I, I was always praised when I first came into this industry at like how notably hard I worked. And now I feel like I can barely do anything. Like, have I just become really lazy? And it's, it is such a feedback loop. Like it is an awful, awful, um, like just place to like be in your head. That's incredibly hard to break out of. Um, and that, I, I, I'm not like even, I wouldn't even say I'm like fully out of that. I've kind of got to a point where I can be a bit more, um, like I can, I can use my time a little bit better. Um, and, um, I'm a bit more like disciplined with it. Uh, but you know, for a really, really long time, it was like completely like incapacitating. Mm, I can, I can resonate with that. There's a lot of similar things. And I think this is the the same thing with pros who get spat out of the system and uh, pretty much anyone within esports that just gets pushed by the the curb and said oh good luck with with what you do next and hopefully you find something because there is a limited supply of opportunities and there's an increasingly massive number of people who want to have those opportunities and a lot of ex-pros young driven people coming through who've got that kind of 
cheaper um, cost, but still the same amount of passion and drive and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people who are selecting these people don't have the time to be able to go, right, let's choose the person who's most qualified for something. A lot of the time it's just rush them through. We've not got the time to be to working through this. And um, so it is quite tough when you're one of the people who gets chucked out the system. I guess looking back on it, do you feel like there was ever any complacency when you were in that amazing spot in 2021? Because I look back now when I was, you know, having a great time, you know, being on the desk in RLCS and thought everything was fine and I was going to be, you know, I was going to be brought back next season, you know, had all this stuff I was really excited for. But then I don't think I was complacent necessarily, but there was things I look back on now. I'm like, did, was that a mistake that I sort of was so confident with this place of, of privilege? Um, I don't know. I think that I, I've always been like, yeah, a hard working person. And at that, to that point, like I had admittedly been very fortunate in that I'd had quite a linear trajectory. So I'd only really gone up mm. and it's one of those things where I kind of, I, I got told this before I ever really like started to believe it or, or kind of understand the truth behind it. But basically everybody, like no one ever has just a trajectory that's straight up. So that means eventually you're going to have like whatever, whatever the fool is, right? Um, and yeah, up until that point, I had, I had only kind of had like the tra- trajectory upwards. So I didn't really have anything before that point that would have made me stop and think like, oh, you know, like eventually this is, you know, this is unsustained. Like this is going to, something's going to happen. Mm. Um, so it's, I suppose in a, from the, that perspective, like maybe I took for granted the fact that things were going well, but do I think I was complacent? No, there have been times where I have thought back and I've been like, oh my God, like, did I do enough? Was I did, like, you know, did I have it wrong in my head? But I would say that I'm, I'm quite good at telling myself to not, not go down that, that like thought process when I catch it happening because it's not helpful. It doesn't benefit anything. And it's really easy. And like, trust me, I'm the worst for this. It's really easy to self-flagellate in hindsight. Um, But the reason you do that is because you're looking for something to blame and it's really easy to blame yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I there's just nothing to gain from it. So I would say that I'm kind of good at not getting, getting lost in that. Like I don't, you know, I think that I, I think I'm good at my job and I think I've, I've always worked hard during my job. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah. I I think it's, it's a tough one because you have to be confident to be on camera. Mm. Otherwise, why, why would you go on camera? Like the whole, premise of it is you're talking on camera confidently right and then there's an element at times where I've caught myself being too confident and like not being complacent but like feeling like it's easy a little cocky and uh yeah there's that whole like uh you know the 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 rule of thirds of like if you're not um you should have one third should feel good one third should feel okay and one third should feel rubbish whenever you're doing anything you love and if you I've never heard that and it's it's like a it's a mindset that a lot of athletes take on because the whole idea of suffering as part of something that you're passionate about is quite hard to process when you haven't heard that yeah and consequently 
if you're, you're ever skewed too far towards this feels great, then it probably means that you're not working hard enough and that you should, you should be going away and, and feeling like, oh, this is uncomfortable. So for example, like the gym, right? If you go to the gym and it feels too easy, you're not working hard enough. Yeah. And it, there should be points where it feels uncomfortable. So, yeah. um, and that's, that's where I think I got complacent because everything was too comfortable. Interesting. In order to put myself in a position where life was, was a bit tougher, then it would have maybe pushed me a bit more. And I think that's where um, we were on a trajectory where everything was getting too easy. And that maybe that in hindsight, maybe for, for us where everything was being given to us, a lot so of opportunities were there, it was getting too easy. Here's my kind of counter to that that I think is what's separate because I don't I ne I didn't feel that I didn't feel like everything was too easy I didn't feel like everything was too good all the time mm. I definitely I definitely there were definitely days where I was like fuck this I don't want to do that this is so much work like this is so hard this is you know whatever like those days and whatever I definitely I don't think there's ever been a point in my career where I think everything's too easy but here's where I would potentially delineate the thing between you and I your background is in like coaching and stuff like that. And, and I don't have a background. So I, I have always had to specifically sit and study for stuff. I've always had to, because if I don't, I won't know what I'm talking about. Um, I also, for medical reasons, have like a very bad memory. I can't just watch a game and then talk about it. Like mm. I have to write everything down. Um, thanks epilepsy. Um, so I don't have the option. Whereas you kind of having a really ingrained background in coaching, you're a world champion coach, like you've done all of this, this shit, like you kind of have that option to sort of just pull from experience a little mm. more. So like, I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that going into a broadcast, you might have felt more comfortable. Like if you, let's say you hadn't done any prep that day. I, you, I never wrote a note in the whole time I was on the desk. That, what? Yeah. So I, like, I. That's a lie, I wrote some notes, but it was always. I wish I had my iPad with me so I could yeah, show you Yeah, I, I, cause I know like we're at the extreme opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to notes. So the <laughs> only notes I'd ever write was if, if we had a bit where it had to be really concise and it wasn't discussion based about players. So it'd be like, Hey, Greg, and you're going to run through the format in, in okay. like the intro. Then I'll be like, right, I'm going to write three bullet points just so I've got like boom, boom, boom. But it wouldn't be like prep notes. It would be like script notes. Yeah, almost you know like I mean. a teleprompter. Yeah. And yeah, then an occasionally I would keep notes from a game that's just happened, but I don't think I ever looked at them. Like, I would never. Like, oh my God. I, so for Champs 2021, I didn't go to that event. I was at home. And I made nearly a hundred pages of typed notes on that event. I wasn't even at the fucking event. I was just like, yeah, I'm just gonna like make notes because A, like hopefully it will help me like retain some of the information and B, I could maybe like make content from it. Mm -hmm. um, and I did like a similar thing for Valorant Lock-In, which was the first event this year. Um, I don't know how many pages I did for it, but it was another very long document. And I was like, I'm sat here and I'm like, oh my God, like I'm not even, I'm not even there, <laughs> you yeah. know? Like I'm the note queen. But then like for, with the note side of things, there'll be things that I remember. So like, I'd be on the desk and I'd be like, oh yeah, they got reverse swept two years ago by this team at this stage. I can't and, like, do I can that. just like, my brain remembers that kind of stuff. But then again, it's like you said, it's like living through it. 
Yeah. And that's where, you know, if I were to come over to a game like Valorant, which I play a lot of Valorant, so I know the game inside out. Yeah. But I would have to learn the pro the way of playing it, the history of the players, the abilities. I would have to take notes. So I think yeah. the games you've you've worked in do require more note taking because they are much deeper in what you can it, learn about it's, them. It's, it's also just the fact that I have always come from esports as somebody who wanted to be a broadcaster and I'm not particularly good at the games myself. So I am I'm coming at it from an academic perspective. I'm like, I will study everything, mm-hmm. study the way to play, I'll study VODs, I'll study the players, I'll study whatever it is that needs to be studied. And I will talk about what I've learned through study. Absolutely nothing that I talk about in esports has ever come from my first person experience because I've never been a coach, never been on a team. I've never played anything competitively. I have not been in even a tier seven tournament, Mm -hmm. like, you know, on anything like that. I've never even competed in sports. Like Mm. I have no competitive background. So everything I know is very theoretical mm. um so it's not even even if i went to rocket league and you know because you you're arguing that the games that i've worked in have been a bit deeper and i would say that like rainbow six is especially that like siege is very very oh, that was the hardest game i've ever had to learn um i think the the thing about siege which is kind of similar to rocket league is the the theory of it is less obvious whereas i think with overwatch and valorant right. with abilities and yes. synergizing of abilities and and compositions everything there is like very obvious whereas the siege is so i mean because like the map changes every round right like there's no there's no two identical rounds so mm-hmm. siege is just infinite permutations as to what can even happen um so it's applied logic there, I, i've than... always said that it was probably about a year into me casting siege professionally at a tier one level that i actually felt like i really got siege mm. like and i could I, I was really, really happy with my abilities as a color caster. Mm. Um, but yeah, so your argument being that like the games I've been in have maybe been a bit deeper, but I would say that, that like that e- that's even a rel- Even if I were a super Smash Brothers caster and I'm like playing a game that is, yeah, ostensibly quite simple or casting a game that's ostensibly quite simple, I would still need to bring my encyclopedia that I had written myself in. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I mean, I had to take a lot of notes because I've been doing the Pokemon trading card game. Oh, I had yeah. to come in and had to learn all the players. And there's a lot of players mm-hmm. and a lot of history with all the players, like 20 years of history in some cases. Um, so I, I completely get that side of things. Um, but it, when it comes to the application of information live, I'm intrigued just to, to bounce off of you how you do it. I typically will have a tech like i bought a laptop which is a tablet at the same time because okay. I, I like getting access to information live i'll often have liquipedia open when i was doing rlcs broadcast so i could get information so my notes were essentially live gotcha. liquipedia looking at um or just before a desk segment yeah. how do you like 100 pages of notes is very difficult to process into yes. live information yeah so how would you access that information live so this is where i think my my kind of prep process is a little inefficient because what i would probably do is let's say i'm like watching vods to prep i'll make as many notes as whatever i need to and then i will make another notes document and i handwrite all my notes so like those notes that i made during chat the 70 page thing that was typed because i just was was i was writing it live so i'm not i'm watching it live so i'm not pausing it or anything mm-hmm. but i handwrite all of my notes that i actually use for work 
Um, and so what I would do is then I would go back through, I'd read through the pages of notes I'd written and then I would consolidate like useful points. So what I do as an analyst, the things that I generally look for is patterns in play styles. So like, that's what I just find the most interesting. I don't really care about individual plays that much. I am much more interested in patterns in play styles. So I'll read back through the notes and I will try and pick out things where I'm like, okay, here's a pattern that this team does. Cool. Um, and then I will kind of consolidate those and I will write them again. So I might be like, this team like is, you know, does these specific defaults in mm-hmm. their attacking rounds. They did it against like X team, Y team, Z team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of write things like that. And then if there's particularly like interesting notes about certain players, I'll just write those. And so I'll have like a handwritten paragraph and then I will like highlight the keywords just so that when I'm literally on camera, I, my eyes are drawn to the right mm. sentence. And then what I would usually do is, cause I'll, I'll write my notes on my iPad so I can kind of take screenshots of things and I also put them in the document because I will not change tabs for anything. Mm-hmm. Everything that I'm gonna reference has to be in my notes or I won't look. Mm-hmm. So I might have like a Liquipedia page up in Safari that I might look at like when I'm off camera, but I won't flip between things while I'm on camera. Um, I just don't have the brain capacity for that. <laughs> so what I might do is, so for example, with with Valorant, there's a site called VLR, which just is a stats site, you know, mm-hmm. most, it's like HLTV. Um, and so I might get screenshots of compositions that the teams have used before. Or for example, if I'm at a tournament and, um, you know, that team, the team I'm casting today um, played yesterday, I'll get, the screenshots of what they did yesterday so I can reference their yesterday games. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually I like to write down, um, if I'm on the desk, I'll probably in advance plan uh, how I think a map veto is going to go. And just so that like I can, you know, talk about that. Um, but yeah, so I'll have a few screenshots and I might annotate the screenshots and then I'll have a few notes written just about like, you know, and there might be interesting story points, um, play style notes, stuff like that. But there won't be a crazy amount. Usually like I try to have just something on both teams Mm -hmm. because if you're on a desk, you don't get a ton of time to speak. And the only time that you really need pre-prepared things on a desk is for the pre-game because Mm. once you're in the mid game or the post game or whatever, like you're you're just going to talk about what's happening in that game. Right. So you don't get a ton of time to speak about those things. Um, So you don't need lots prepared for a desk for a cast. What I'll try and do is I'll just like have that stuff there. And if I reference none of it, fine. But like, obviously you kind of hope to at some Mm. point um and i'll just kind of like reference those during the cast if there is a particular point of information that i didn't prepare and my co-caster brings it up and i i wasn't the one to bring it up like okay i'm not somebody who's absolutely desperate to always be the person who says the interesting point like Mm. for the sake of the broadcast it doesn't have to be me so um yeah i don't I don't flip between tabs. The only time I'll do that is if I'm casting from home. Yeah. Because I will have some prep, but I can have those websites on my second monitor. So it's not like a lot of work for me to like go flipping through my iPad. I can just be like, and I'll, I'll before the game starts, I'll get the right pages up. Um, but also when you're casting from home, like if let's say the host and the other analyst are talking or whatever, or indeed if you're off camera, 
you can get away with looking away from the camera a mm -hmm. lot easier. If you're in person, you're in a studio or you're at an event, like you not engaging with the cameras or with the other people on the desk to go and like start looking down at your, that's way more obvious and looks not good on camera. Yeah, well, I think that's the, that was what I wanted to find out because I know you make loads of notes. Yeah. And I was interested how you consolidate that down because yeah. realistically what you've described there is your note taking is essentially a replacement for where I would just absorb the game and the history through the, the seven years or whatever of Rocket League that I've been yeah. involved in. I also like, I really struggle <coughs> to just watch stuff. So mm -hmm. like, even when I'm watching VODs to study, I can't just sit and watch a VOD. It will probably take me, if I want to like watch a VOD and it's like a best of three mm. and I want to watch all three maps from a best of three, that would take me a whole day. Mm. Cause I really struggle to just sit down and watch something. So, I'm like playing and pausing. I'll get distracted at times. I'll need to take a break. I have to write things down because if I don't write it down, I will just zone out. I'll look at my phone. It won't go in. Like I just can't, I can't just watch stuff. I'm the same with movies. I just can't sit and watch a movie yeah. um, without doing something else at the same time. So yeah, well, it frustrates me at times with how inefficient it is because especially when it comes to like making YouTube videos and stuff. I would love to be able to make a video about something that happened at a tournament today without having to take three days to prepare for mm. it. But unfortunately, I don't really operate that way. <laughs> so I'm always, I've always been envious of people like you because I know people like that. And it's almost always the people who have worked in the game in some other capacity. Yeah, well, it's the, the years and years of watching Rocket League and processing it in a way that's helped me out. But uh, we will take a little bit of a, a detour from from the story. Okay. Um, I've been fascinated hearing about your story, mainly because I see so many similarities, but then also lots of differences with the fact that you've jumped from multiple games. Yeah. I, I can't imagine what that's like, the stress that's involved with that, but also the, <laughs> the challenges of uncertainty is, is such a resonant story uh, for me there. But we're going to go over to your top five games uh, to close out the oh, podcast. Oh, yeah. So... Um, you know, growing up, any particular games that stand out or any games that have been particularly important in your career that would go into your top five games? Uh, games that have been important in my career. Um, I, top five games of all time, I would probably put Overwatch in there. I don't really play Overwatch that much anymore. I go through phases here and there, but just the influence that that's had on like the direction of my life. Mm -hmm. Like I would be remiss to not put Overwatch in there. But my favorite game of all time absolutely has had no influence on my career or anything like that and that's fine and that's portal 2 portal it's a great game I, specifically portal 2 yeah yeah yeah. i mean the first game is great but portal 2 is a masterpiece every single aspect of that game is... i feel like with the the kind of logic that you have you'd have loved solving those problems and like working your way through them you know it's not even that it's funny because i'm not much of like a single player game kind of person and i don't really play puzzle games either but it was just the you know it's very rare that i really care about the story in a game mm. and i really fell in love with i mean i love the characterization in that game but i really fell in love with how the depth of the story in portal is really really deep but it is told so subtly that you have to really be paying attention to like your environment and just very small things a lot of easter eggs um, in that game isn't very much so you like and how it fits into the wider like half-life story and stuff like that i always found that so fascinating like how much is there but if you weren't paying attention to any of it you might just think it's a very superficial game um 
I love like the, I guess, world building in it. Like the hot, just especially in Portal 2, going from Portal to Portal 2 and actually learning of the, the size of this whole facility, the Aperture Science facility and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, and um, like when you fall down, you go through the different decades of the spheres and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. I just thought it was it, the feeling of immensity. There are so many games, especially sci-fi games that are like based in space that do so much to try and make you feel like this is some immense, like massive thing. No game has ever given me that like Portal 2 has. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, interesting. This is our 32nd episode and you're the first mention of Portal 2, I think. Which surprises me because it is such a... It's a masterpiece. It's such a masterpiece. It's so, so many people good. have loved that game, but I think it's just been long enough that people have forgotten about it. Oh, and like you mentioned it there, I was like, I forgot about years it. years old. But it, I think just a lot of people with their top five games, they reference the games that have been a big part of their life in the last five five years or so see yeah that's the interesting thing is actually i think that when i think of my favorite because it's like obviously i love valorant but would i put valorant in my top five games of all time i think that would be a recency bias because mm. the the other game that comes to mind that would definitely go on the list would be gta 5 a lot of gta 5 gta is, 5 is, is such a phenomenal game to the point that i am almost dreading the release of gta 6 because i don't want the gta 5 era to be over and it's been out for so long. Like it's a 10 year old game, you know? It is the game that I've completed on the most number of platforms because I originally had it on PS3. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then went on to PS4, I've played it on PC. I've completed it so many times. And again, like I said, I'm not really a single player person, but I love the characters of that game. I love the way it plays. I remember when I, um, when I played it on PS4, because I played it at my dad's house when I played it on PS4. And my dad, this was before I'd ever been to LA. And my dad was like, the way they've got LA is so perfect. Like the Mm. way the light hits the city and everything. And I didn't really know what that meant. And then I remember when I first ever went to LA, I thought back to that and I was like, oh my God, he's right. (laughs) Um, I feel like a lot of people, if they played GTA before they go to LA, it's like LA is, is that world whereas the other way around i bet people are like oh this is nice the way they've <laughs> caught, it. but like you're going along the the freeway or whatever you're like oh this feels just like in it's GTA. so it's how i always because my brother's never been to la and i've always said to him like oh you've got to come out to california at some point like um it is exactly like gta and that's the only way i can really describe it mm-hmm. to my brother like to talk to him about that um and like i know la so well like now you know mm. and so i it's it still kind of just makes me laugh. Um, honestly, sometimes I play GTA when I'm like, oh, I just need to be back in LA. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, um, and I think that's the thing I'm worried about with GTA 6 is like, I don't care about Miami mm. as a place. I don't like, obviously we don't know a lot about like the the protagonists or anything, but I'm like, oh, but you know, that's not Franklin, Michael and Trevor, you know, mm. these aren't my boys. <laughs> Yeah, it's got a lot to live up to yeah, with GTA 6. 100%. So we got Overwatch, GTA 5, yeah, and, and I don't, Portal I, 2. I, would, I, don't, I don't know where... Overwatch would be at near the bottom of the five, I think, because mm-hmm. that's more of like a sentimental one. Mm-hmm. Um, what else would I put on there? I don't know, because there are... Again, like if we're talking about influence on my life, The Sims 2 would probably go on there as well. A solid game. I think a lot of people have mentioned Sims that. Sims 2... I mean, the music of the Sims, I can hear the music in my head. Like the music of the Sims 2 always like brings a smile to my face. And I haven't played, 
I, I remember a few years ago, EA made a like a, a Windows 10 or Windows 8 or whatever it was, like port of all the Sims 2 expansions that you could just download, but it's for a limited time. And it was before I built my first PC. And so I missed that window. And I am like, I will pay any amount of money for them to bring it back because mm. I... Look, I don't have a disk drive in my PC, but I could like get one of those external ones and install it. But then I would either have to play it on a, a 2K monitor, 2K 27 inch monitor, where it's going to be like one giant pixel or on a window so small that it's basically impossible, right? I just want like an updated version of specifically The Sims 2. Like a proper nostalgia version. Go, yes. full, go full Nintendo on The Sims games yes, and just yeah. bring I out just, a remastered version. Like, I play The Sims 4 quite a lot because that's my kind of like relaxing game. Mm -hmm. um, but The Sims 2 is the one that I would like pick. So fifth game then. And then this is really hard because like I'm, I'm thinking of like games I played when I was a kid, but there were a lot of like there were a lot of PS2 games and PS1 games that I like loved and have such a fondness for. But to choose between them is really difficult because I think of like, you know, Lara Croft Tomb Raider 2, that was a classic for PS1. Locking the butler in the in the freezer was, uh, yeah, I think. I don't it, know the story, but. What? Did you never play that game? No, I didn't. Oh my God. I wasn't placed, I was a Nintendo kid growing up, so I didn't play any of the PlayStation games. Um, And then things like, I mean, The Simpsons Hit and Run is something I played a lot well, when I think I was we had younger. that in. I think that was three podcasts ago, so I mentioned that. Oh, so, really? Yeah, it comes up a fair amount. And then amount. like Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3. Like Crazy Taxi, like there were so many games like that. But if, if you put me on the spot and say, okay, pick one, I'd be like, I don't know. Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot and say pick one. No, because I don't even know if, that, if one of those is what I would no, pick. Because then there's no, also no games like, like Pokemon forever. Ruby also would like Great game, be, yeah. be, be up there as, as a potential. And then I'm always like, oh, well, I literally like don't even think about games that I play these days, <laughs> you know? So, so I'm going to put you on the spot and say pick one. And I keep saying this until you pick one. I'm trying to think. We might be here. Pokemon Ruby is great pick. Pokemon Ruby is a really, really good game. But? I played more Gen 4 than I played Gen 3. Like Diamond and Pearl, also great games. Diamond is is such a good game. Like I and I know a lot of people had a shit to say about BDSP. I literally don't care. They can they can suck a duck. Like I I was so, I was like yes. I can literally like I bought a switch for oh I didn't buy. It. I got a switch as a present specifically so that I could play Brilliant Diamond. Um, but would I pick that? I don't know. Now so I'm like... I'm a, I'm a believer that if you pick the remastered Pokemon version, you also really like the original. So like Heart Gold is one of my top five games of all time. Mm, see, yeah, see, I never played it. But I also really liked Silver and Gold, but Silver and Gold as a game were amazing. Yeah. Remaster them, make them better. And it's an even better game. And I feel like Brilliant Diamonds like that, Mega Rubies like that. With well, yeah, because I, I see, to me, like Brilliant Diamond and Diamond is the same fucking game. Like, yeah. it's just, uh, you that, know. That's probably the most. The game is Diamond. Same like, that's what the, the remasters. game is. Heart Gold was an upgrade, I think. Whereas I think the way they did Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, they were basically just. Well, because the thing with like newer Pokemon games is like, I really hate that they're like high fidelity. Mm. I'm like, I, the thing I loved about, about BDSP was that it actually looked like how yeah. it looked in gen four and sort i want them that's why i liked let's go eevee as well because mm. i was like oh they're actually like short and 
dumb looking and whatever. It's actually, like, looks like a Pokemon game. Yeah. Um. And so whereas I'm like gonna, Sword and Shield, they're like all gangly. Like what? What the hell is this? I'm gonna push you and ask you to pick one. Oh God, stop! <laughs> I should have pre-warned uh-huh. you so you could have picked this in advance. Yeah, I, I, because I didn't even think about it. I'm not gonna hold you accountable. Um, I'm gonna give you thirty seconds. <laughs> No, oh my god. On. Wait, can I go like really out of left field? You can say what you want. That's okay, because I don't know if it counts as a video game. But a game that I would sell my soul to bring back into the universe is Tap Tap Revenge. There you go. Tap Tap Revenge. It's <laughs> made it onto the top five. I never played Guitar Hero, but Tap Tap Revenge, I spent so much time playing. Yeah, it's a good, it's I a good game. I can't believe I've just picked Tap Tap Revenge over something like Valorant. I'm but... pretty sure I said a Tap Tap Revenge joke the other day when I was talking about something. I said, oh yeah, just Tap Tap and then just said Revenge because... Dude, the Zoomers don't even know what it is. No, that was like the OG, this is unbelievable mobile gaming. Like there was, yes. at the time, that was so innovative I for was, mobile gaming. I remember it was kind of... Because not long after that, Temple Run came out and mm. that was... That was mind-blowing a at the big, time. But... Tavatar Revenge, I think, came out just after Doodle Jump. Angry Birds? Angry Birds, yeah, they yeah. were all, all around that time. <laughs> I had to try and remember what it yeah, was. Yeah, Doodle Jump cool. and, and all that kind of stuff. But Oh, wait, no, I know what other game I might want to put well, in Well, you've locked them in now. No, wait, hold on. It's like one of the only, it's, it may be the only game I've ever pre-ordered. No, I pre-ordered Overwatch as well. Um, Destiny, the original Destiny, when that came out. So is that, is that taking Tap Tap Revenge's yes, spot? Okay. Yes, that changed. That game changed my life. So Overwatch, Portal 2. Okay, but no, you're getting Sims the order wrong. Because uh, be, it would be Portal 2 is very much at the top, okay. okay? And then, I don't know what order after that. It doesn't uh, matter. The order doesn't actually matter. You're, you're the first person okay. who's made a relevant order. I just want to make it very clear that Portal 2 goes at the top. Okay, Portal uh, 2 the others, and then the rest. Yeah. Destiny, GTA 5, Overwatch, and Sims, and Sims 2. Sims 2, yeah. I mean, it's still a very solid list. Um. We are actually out of time. Normal, okay, so, because I took so long. No, because we were, we were going through your story and it, it made sense not to cut it off at any yeah. point. Um, we'll maybe get you back in the future to talk about um, other stories within gaming, gaming life growing up, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I appreciate you coming on and being very open and raw about the, the story you've had in commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it resonates a lot with what I'm going through. Yeah. And I'm sure there'll be lots of other people out there who might not even realize that that's what the talent they don't see on camera um in their game or because they've moved over to a different game or whatever it is what they're going through mm-hmm. um because you know most people tell us oh you, you live the dream job and there is a negative side to it which is the when things aren't always going as well as you want them to but with every one of those stories like you said there's a down and yeah. we, we've both got that up coming soon at some point um but i do want to ask you the same question we ask every one of our guests when they finish the podcast and that is what does gaming mean to you um i mean I kind of roll my eyes when people answer this with really pretentious answers. So it's something that I've always found fun and interesting and chose to pursue a career within. So it's a significant portion of my life. So it has to mean a lot to me from that perspective. It's also something that drives me absolutely fucking nuts for a number of reasons. Like a lot of people in gaming, whether it's literally in the game or just random people I have to interact with on social media, Um, And sometimes it's something that I just want to run away from and not be involved with. But I I always kind of come back to it like a toxic ex (laughs) because because it's just there isn't a medium quite like it. Kind of like that, you know, immersiveness and interactivity and the socialness that comes with it and the creativity and the fact that you can do all these things surrounding it. It's like you have that medium 
and we get basically sports broadcasts based off of it and we get all these different kind of offshoots for me that makes it very unique and that's what makes it so appealing and brings me back every single time but i'm not going to sit and tell you that it's like changed my life and i cry about it every Mm. night because i don't so gaming is a toxic (laughs) ex to you it's my toxic (laughs) ex yeah thank you sports social podcast network with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.